0: <laughs> um, good morning, Christ City. My name is uh, Matthew Watson. I serve as one of the pastors here at Christ City and really thrilled and delighted to be here and be worshiping with you and um, to uh, just to, again as, as we have prayed to remember God's promises towards us. Um, this morning we're going to continue in our sermon series, Conflict is Key. Now, we began last week, uh, and we'll continue for the next three weeks, and what we want to do in this series is to take a look at the role that conflict plays in our lives and how God might actually use that conflict for the sake of deepening our understanding of who God is and who we are, how do we live in our own skin, and the ways that conflict can actually be a pathway for healthier relationships. Um, One of the things that we said last week, and it bears repeating um, this morning, is that conflict in relationships is inevitable, but healthy conflict is not inevitable. That, that, you know, conflict in relationships is just going to happen, but to engage in conflict in a healthy way, well, that's, you know, that's an open question. Our aim in this series is to better understand how we can work through conflict in emotionally and spiritually mature ways. So that we can be more whole people, we can be a more whole community, and that we can ref- be a reflection of God's love to us and the world around us. I say all that to say that our, our pursuit of healthy conflict and our understanding of it is not just for us, but it's also for others. Um, a caveat that I made last week, and that um, I don't want to say it again, is I want to make clear our approach in this series, that it is pastoral in nature. Uh, we want to stay in our lanes as pastors as we kind of move through this. And as such, we want to stay true to the wisdom that we find in the scriptures on the matter of relationships and conflict and want to hold that with humility. Um, in addition to this sermon series, if you've, as you've heard already, Christ City is going to be working with Garden City Center, um, the counseling practice that we share office space uh, with uh, at our H Street offices. They're going to provide a seminar that you've heard about on healthy communication later, uh, later this month. Um seminar is going to be open to the congregation. It's going to be open to the community. It's going to provide some of the best insights in the field of counseling and psychology and mental health and um, on, on how you can have healthy communications with your friends, with your spouse, with your children, your parents, co-workers, randoms on the metro, like, you know, we're here for you. Um, but I also want to remind um, us that Christ City has a counseling consultant as well. I know as we move through a conversation and a sermon series on relationships and conflict, it may stir some things. I've already heard from some of you uh, that as soon as I sort of launched in last week on conflict, like immediately, you sort of your body seized. I'm glad. Thank you for staying in the room with us and holding in this space. But that it even stirred like in your body that there were things going on. I want you to know that we have a trained licensed counselor that you can reach out to and that they will assist you with finding a counselor. Because so often just finding a counselor that fits your budget and your needs and your location and that you have some chemistry with, it can be hard. And so Cry City has set aside funds to assist you in finding a counselor and there are funds to assist you if you need help uh, paying for a counselor. And you can find those resources on our website. This morning, though, I want to touch on three massive topics um, that are at the intersection of relational conflict, I want to touch on boundaries I want to touch on forgiveness and reconciliation in like twenty minutes <laughs> <sighs> I am i 'm pretty good so you all know that each of these could be their own sermon each of these could be their own sermon series uh, and i 'm a little You know, more than a little intimidated and worried that I'm going to do more of a disservice than a helpful service, so I want to set the parameters of the sermon so that we can all set our expectations. I met with my spiritual director on Friday, and she wanted to remind me the pain of unmet expectations, and so I want to set our expectations for this morning. Um, First, I want to tie these three practices to a story in the scriptures so that we can see how they find biblical expression in our faith. My hope is that putting these three impactful practices, practices of boundaries and forgiveness and reconciliation, my hope is that putting these three impactful practices alongside a story of relational conflict in the New Testament, that it can serve as an encouragement to us and also a challenge to us, that it can stir our affections for Jesus, but then also invite us into maybe a step that the Spirit is leading us to take. And second, I I want us to begin considering where and with whom God might be inviting us to put these practices into, well, practice. When we began last week, one of the statements that I made was that so much of the purpose, not the only purpose, but so much of the purpose of our relationships is to be a reflection of God's love towards us. I went on to say that healthy relationships, healthy relationships with spouses or partners or family members or friends, that healthy human relationships, they give us a glimpse, they they give us a peek into our relationship with God, our our ultimate relationship, the one with whom we are most fully known and most fully loved. That's the aim of earthly relationships is to be a, a foretaste and a signpost to our relationship with God. I would go on to propose that healthy conflict, it can actually be a pathway for deepened intimacy with others. It can be a pathway whereby we are more fully known and more fully loved. And in that, conflict doesn't need to be something that we avoid or run away from or be fearful of, but it can also stir in us hope and and expectation and anticipation. Today, I want to propose that healthy boundaries in relationship, uh, healthy boundaries in relationships, as well as the practice of forgiveness when wronged and reconciliation where possible, that they likewise can be pathways for relational intimacy. They can be pathways by which we can be more fully known and fully loved in healthy and in healing ways. The story I want us to examine this morning is a story of Paul's separation from Barnabas and Barnabas and Mark in Acts 15. In the story uh, that we read, we uh, come to this spot where Paul, Paul is the one who wrote much of the New Testament, who is featured prominently throughout the book of Acts. And the other two people in the story, it's Barnabas and Mark. Barnabas, who's also a disciple of Jesus. Barnabas is a consistent feature among the disciples, and he's played a tremendous role, particularly in Paul's life, after Paul's conversion to Christianity. Paul was a constant companion and co-laborer with Paul during the first missionary journey that Paul and Barnabas take together. The third man in the story, though, is Mark. Sometimes he's referred to as John Mark in the New Testament. Mark is traditionally viewed as uh, the author of the Gospel of Mark. It's also believed that Mark was Barnabas' cousin. In this instance in Acts 15, Mark um, has been traveling with Paul and Barnabas on much of the missionary journeys that they have taken to different cities where they've been encouraging believers and they've been evangelizing others. They've been been telling others about the story of Jesus and they've been inviting others into the ways of Jesus all along their journey. Now, what happens at the end of Acts 15 is that Paul and Barnabas, they have a heated disagreement about Mark. The, The disagreement becomes so contentious that Paul breaks from Barnabas and Mark and they all go their separate ways. Barnabas and Mark, they head in one direction and they continue the work of the Spirit. And Paul, he heads in another direction. And as we'll see in the Scripture, there's actually no indication in the Scriptures that any of them are wrong, that there's not a presence of sin or that there's a violation necessarily. Scriptures doesn't say that they were wrong about how they felt or that they were wrong about how they responded to each other. Scriptures make no judgment on Barnabas' decision nor on Paul's decision. However, this does become the last time that we see Barnabas in the scriptures. But Mark will show up later, which we'll look at in just a moment. From this point forward in Acts, it just follows Paul's journeys, and we're only left to tradition and speculation about what happens to Barnabas. As it relates to conflict and relationships, though, there's a great deal that we can mine from these few verses and the aftermath of the relationships between Paul and Barnabas and Mark. So that's a Take a look. Back of the passage, Acts 15, verse 36. Let's look again. Sometime later, this is later after their first missionary journey. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. It had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Again, this episode is taking place at the conclusion of what's often referred to as Paul's first missionary journey. Paul would uh, go on to take four journeys throughout the book of Acts. Um, And they just finished sort of this first round of travels. And now Paul's ready to kind of sort of retrace the steps, go back again, uh, visit the places where they initially encouraged those believers, where they planted churches, where they made disciples. And this is where the disagreement um, emerges. Barnabas says, hey, let's say, you know, take Mark again. And Paul's like, oh, heck no, not taking that guy. Paul's reason, it stated in verse 38, it's because Mark deserted them and hadn't continued in the work. It's a brief passage, but the truth is if we linger in it, man, there's a lot of emotions in this passage, is there not? A lot of hurt, a lot of disappointment. There's hopes in it. You ever been let down by somebody? Abandoned? Maybe even abandoned in the time of need? Someone you'd hoped that would be with you? Somebody that would stay with you through thick and the thin of it? And then you look around and they are not there. That Ever happened? Over um, when the pandemic started, i just going to share this, share this publicly, it's healing for me. I, as a way to connect with my kids, started playing video games. <laughs> I'm a gamer. <laughs> you can find me online. Me and the kids, we started playing with some other dads and um, their kids, and just as a way to kind of connect with friends and whatnot. I, I'm a fox in the game, because I like foxes, I think they're cool. You run around. You're fighting other animals, you know, other cartoons, the enemy. I'm with a squad. I'm with four other people. I can talk to them on my microphone, my headset, because I'm a gamer. <laughs> i running around. I'm telling them, hey, look, there's bad guys coming, this, that, and the other. We're playing, you know. And I don't really know the folks exactly like I just know so sort of the online. They're online friends. I don't know anything else about them except, you know, one's a squirrel and other stuff. In the middle of the game, we're like sort of duking it out, battling it out, and I'm having internet troubles, and all of a sudden, my game freezes up, and I get kicked out of the game. But I can hear them. And they're like, yo, what happened to Fox? Where's he at? Like, we're in the middle. Like, where's he at? And I can hear, like, their disappointment. That I've just abandoned them in the middle of this massive battle in a cave with other woodland creatures. (laughs) They're like, oh, he was so cool. Like, did we say something? Like, what happened? Like, where's the fox? And I'm like, I'm here. Like, yeah, I'm, I can hear you, but they can't hear me. And I could just hear, like, they're like, oh, man. I just left, and they just looked up, and like I, like I wasn't in the metaverse anymore. <laughs> now, instead of imaginary games, maybe that's been you. Some situation where you feel like, man, I have yo, I'm in a cave. I'm under the earth. My partners have—I don't oh know—they just left me. The scene that we read in Acts 15 it raises the question of whom can one depend on? Upon whom can one trust? Paul and Barnabas, they, they, they know the cost of discipleship and they know the cost of, of following the Spirit of God. Their lives have been on the line over and over as we've read in Acts and they're going to continue to be on the line moving forward. And they need those with them who will share in the risk of life lived for the sake of God's kingdom and God's mission. Because there's always a vulnerability baked into the lives of those who pursue the things of God in a way, in such a way that, such a pursuit, it just can't be born alone. Companions are needed for such a life lived in pursuit of God's mission. Friendship is needed, a kinship, birth, and a shared faith in the one who rescues is needed. This is companionship and friendship, one that has a gaze that is steadied on God's horizons. This is such a friendship as Professor Willie Jennings notes, it's in a different key, it's in a different, more intense register, and yet disappointment and betrayal also mark human relationships, even those joined in the gospel. Marcus failed Paul and Barnabas, but not just relationally, not, not just because they weren't there as a friend, but Mark had abandoned the mission. Luke is the author of the book of Acts, and he uses the word apostasy here to describe what Mark has done. It's translated in our text as abandoned, but it's the same word that's used for one who turns their back on the faith. This indicates that Mark, Mark wasn't merely like just a co traveler, like son of a you know part of the entourage but rather he was a co-laborer in the work. They depended on him to do the work of evangelism and discipleship, the work of care and compassion and justice that they were about through their travels. But Mark deserted them. Now Mark stands between Paul and Barnabas. And both Paul and Barnabas, they read Mark from completely different and completely true angles. We don't have Barnabas' own words here, but his actions speak for him. Barnabas was willing to move forward with Mark, but Paul drew a boundary. Sometimes in relationships, especially when there's been a violation, boundaries are needed. Boundaries are biblical. Last week we walked through a tool that we called the Describe Tool. It's a tool that I introduced, a tool that Lisa and I often train in our premarital counseling sessions, but it's a tool that we've used in a number of relationships and spots where there's conflict. One of the steps in the tool is the C, the consequences. There are often consequences to actions, violations that that require a distance. This can be a case where there's been trauma or violence where, for safety, a strong and tall and wide boundary is necessary. Other times, uh, the violation can be less traumatic, but nonetheless painful. Painful violations in this instance where, where boundaries are needed, not as a result of consequences, but, as, uh, but for care. Instances where there's, a, where there's a pattern of behavior that's unhealthy for the relationship. A pattern that's exhibited by the other person, a pattern that's damaging for them and painful for you. A repeated violation of trust or a repeated violation of a broken word. And in order to guard one's heart, a boundary is appropriate. For a season at least, for the sake of care. I think for Paul, his boundary with Mark, it maybe falls somewhere in between these two arenas of a boundary because of for the sake of consequence and a boundary for the sake of care. The work that Paul imagines is ahead for him. Well, Mark is disqualified for that because of his actions. Or perhaps from Paul's perspective, to include Mark in the journey ahead would be to excuse the patterns of weak commitment that Mark has displayed, and that Paul just doesn't see the wisdom in that. Or maybe Paul's heart just couldn't take another disappointment. We're not sure. But what we do know is that Paul set a boundary. He ain't got to go home, but he can't come with me. Church boundaries are are biblical. But consequences and care, they're not the only reasons for boundaries. There are times where we need boundaries because we're just limited creatures. We can't be everywhere, and we can't be everyone, and we can't do everything. And this is good news, actually, because God is the one who can be everywhere and do everything. Boundaries... Help remind us of this truth that we are not God. As pastor and author Zach Eswine writes, you and I were never meant to repent for not being everywhere for everybody all at once. You and I are meant to repent because we've tried to be. Each of you in this room is gifted in one way or another. Each of you has some passion, some purpose, some direction that God has set in your heart You might not even be able to fully articulate that yet at this point, but it doesn't mean that you're not living towards it. Because we all have limitations, though, what this means is that as we use our gifts, we're required to take a step in a certain direction. And whatever direction we place our foot in, we are necessarily leaving every other direction empty for the footsteps of others. Each of us can only hold so many relationships and hold them in a caring way. We can only hold them for so long on any given day. None of us are endless nor limitless. Um, during our first year, first kind of few years um, at Christ City, uh, Lisa and I we were leading a small group at our house on E Street. And that first small group was really amazing. It was an amazing Season in our lives as a family, it was an amazing season in the lives of our church. We had an amazing small group. It was beautiful. So many of the first leaders of Christ City, they, kind of, they emerged from that uh, small group. Some of our first elders, uh, some of our first staff, Andrea and Nikki were a part of that Small group. It was really an amazing season, amazing time. We would come together. I don't remember what night it was. I'm just going to say Tuesday, because I think it was a Tuesday night. Tuesday sounds good. It was a Tuesday. Lisa Wishcamp was in that group. It was Tuesday. Perfect. Got an amen. Uh, and it was, just, it was an amazing season. Like it, it, it was just really special. I look back on it. Um, it was fantastic. The thing about the small group, though, is that they would stay so long at my house. They would just like, and I would try and hang. I'm an introvert. But I love people. I I have a gift of hospitality. It's a complicated life I live. And I'd be like, man, these jokers, I love them, but yo. And so finally, I would leave my own small group at my house. I would just go upstairs. I would quietly go upstairs and disappear and be like, hey, lock the door on your way out. And they would. I would just leave them. Because sometimes our boundaries are faithful steps of recognizing our own limitations. They would continue to hang out and meet. They would clean up and then close and lock the door on their way out. Because there are times where boundaries, again, they are faithful steps of consequences of care and an expression of our own God ordained limitations. Boundaries are biblical. Now, what boundaries aren't, or at least healthy boundaries, They aren't simply your preferences. Boundaries isn't a license only to surround yourself with people that are like you or that like you. And as Pastor Justin has stated in a previous sermon on relationships, boundaries doesn't just mean that you should only hang out with people who are easy and nice and comfortable for you to be with. I think we're naturally inclined to do that anyway. And as always, Jesus is our example here. He knew when to retreat and when to engage. He knew when to withdraw and when he had work to do in public. He knew when to say no to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and when to call them out. And he also knew when to say yes to their invitations. So let us be careful about naming our personal preferences as healthy boundary setting. It's okay to have preferences, by the way. That's good and that's right. But we have to remember that God doesn't call us to live only into our preferences. But the aim of healthy boundaries is healthy relationships. And the goal or one of the goals of healthy relationships and healthy conflict is to be fully known and fully loved and our preferences alone won't get us there. Let's continue the story of Paul and Mark. And Barnabas, as I mentioned, Barnabas doesn't show up in the scriptures after Acts 15. But Mark does. He shows up in a few places. And it gives some indication into what happened between Mark and Paul in the aftermath of the Acts 15 division. Paul, references, uh, Paul actually references Mark, John Mark, uh, in a few different spots in his epistles. He mentions him in Colossians. He also mentions him in Philemon. But Perhaps one of the clearest pictures is at the end of 2 Timothy. Paul is writing to one of his mentees, one of his disciples, Timothy. Um, Timothy was a pastor in the church in Ephesus. And Paul is in prison. He's in Rome, and he's writing to Timothy. And he says this at the end of his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning of verse 9. He says to him, Timothy, do your best uh, to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. He said, Word again. And he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you because he's helpful to me in ministry. Paul is writing to churches. He's writing to churches that he helped start after his splitting with Mark. Paul is alone, save for Luke. The same Luke who wrote the book of Acts and who chronicled the division with Mark. Paul has been abandoned again, this time by Demas, who apparently loved this world too much. He bailed for Thessalonica. I've got to tell you a side note. I have often wondered what Demas found in Thessalonica. What was there? What relationship was there? What job was there? What opportunity was there? But that's a reflection for another sermon. Paul is in prison. He's virtually alone. He's writing to a beloved friend in Timothy, and he asks Timothy to bring Mark. I'm abandoned, but bring the one who abandoned me. And then Paul says, Why? He says, Because he's helpful to me in ministry. The very person, Paul, and the very thing in ministry that Mark had abandoned in Pamphylia is now being restored. And the same person, Paul, needs Mark because he's helpful, he's needed, he's, he's encouraging. It appears that at some point in between Acts 15 and 2 Timothy, Paul has forgiven Mark. Friends, any rupture in a relationship need not be permanent. The story, even stories of division and departure and abandonment, they're not finished. The end isn't the end. In seminary, there's a uh, church that I was attending, one of the elders there, Vic Downing. Uh, Vic came into my life in a very pivotal season, and he introduced me to a definition of forgiveness that I've not forgotten and that it's shaped me to this day. It's not the end-all, be-all of definitions. It's just one that's been meaningful for me, and I submit it to you. I remember Vic telling me that forgiveness is an action. It's an action that opens the door to a normal relationship. Forgiveness is an action. It's not a mindset, not like a cognitive ascent. It's not a feeling. It's an action. And it doesn't guarantee a healthy relationship. It doesn't guarantee things are going to be fine or that everything's going to turn out great. It just merely creates a possibility. Vic said he had arrived at this definition upon realizing that God's forgiveness towards us was an action. And that action was Jesus on the cross. And so, our forgiveness of others it doesn't require a cross, but we might be well served to have our expressions of forgiveness be rooted in actions, in order to reflect God's actions of forgiveness towards us. Most often, those actions they can either look like acts of kindness or words of kindness. So at the risk of being simplistic, um, when we first moved into our house on East Street, um, we had a, a neighbor, uh, Miss Ellen. Miss uh, so Ellen had been there for a long time, and one day I, just, I feel like it was like the first week that we moved there. You we've got these kids, and they're kind of a bit rambunctious. And um, one of their balls ended up in Miss Ellen's yard, and by yard I mean like you know it's like like half the rug yard, right? So the kids go over there, they get the ball, and she comes storming out. and She like yells at them. And they're like, "Yo, neighbor is like salty, bro." And I'm like, "I don't know. Just you know, stay out of you know that." patch of grass, just get your ball or whatever, but we were mad, like it felt like a violation happened, like why well, are you just go to come out and start yelling at kids and ball is like, just crossed into your weeds, I say that mad, I, forgive me, she, she kept very good care of her yard, a <laughs> couple of weeks later she, um, she got a, um, a mini fridge it was, delivered, it was delivered to the sidewalk, and she needed help carrying it into the house, and she wanted it down in the basement. And I'm sitting outside, and she says, Hey, can you help me with the mini fridge? And I'm like, like where's the ball? I'm tossing it in the yard right now. What's up? <laughs> I said, Yeah, i help you. And it was an action. It was a, it was a small act, small act for, for me of, of saying I forgive It just opened the door for a possibility to say, listen, by rights, this relationship could be severed, but let me just create a small window that says something else could happen. When uh, we lived in Berkeley, um, a friend there, Dennis, um, his father passed away, and uh, they asked Dennis to give um, the eulogy. Dennis and his dad they had really a really contentious relationship growing up. Dennis had done a lot of work of healing and uh, worked to restore some measure of relationship with his dad. Uh, but still there was a lot of pain. And so his dad passed and he had to go and through sort of the eulogy. He, he just wasn't sure, but he had this sort of floating around. We had both been discipled by Vic. And he was thinking, what's in the action that could open the door for my, father, for my late father at this point? And it was words of kindness. It was to s- but it had to be truthful. And I remember walking with Dennis for you know, a couple of weeks leading up to it, and he was just like, I've got to figure out how to say the truth. I'm not going to get up there and s- tell stories about a man that we all knew wasn't, you know, he had his faults. And I remember D- Dennis saying, what, what I've landed on is to get up there and to say to my family, we all know who my dad was, but one of the things that he always did, he's always provided for us, we never went without. He was always consistent, and that was his way to show us care. That was his action, that even for someone who had passed, even someone for whom the relationship couldn't be reconciled in quite the way we understand it, it was an action that for him that that helped him walk in forgiveness. Sometimes the actions, though, are just to pray. There are those that are opposed to us. Uh, In 2 Timothy, Paul would go on to say, uh, beware of Alexander the coppersmith, he's done me wrong. And like just sort of names them for scripture all of time. Like I don't know who Alexander the coppersmith was, but he's a bad dude and he wanted the world to know about it. (laughs) But we are commanded to pray for our enemies. And sometimes this is the only words and only actions that we can provide because it is all that is true of us. It is all that is safe for us and sometimes safe for them. And it is what is commanded of us by Jesus. It also seems, though, that from 2 Timothy that Paul not only has forgiven Mark, but it also seems that they have been reconciled. The relationship that was once tattered, that it's been repaired. uh, Two that were once divided, that they're now united. Friends, I want you to know, reconciliation and forgiveness, they are two completely different things. Forgiveness is required of the believer, but reconciliation isn't. Reconciliation is possible for the believer, though. And the reason is because for reconciliation to occur something must happen in the life of the one who has done the wrong repentance is required as fuller seminary professor dr john newfeld notes biblical reconciliation always implies repentance and a turning away from evil it mandates that the victimizer do what they can do what they can to restore what's been taken or what's been marred or what's been violated it is possible to truly forgive and to remain unreconciled. Lack of reconciliation is often a sign that the victimizer remains unwilling to repent. Repentance is 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 to turn away or to turn around from the direction that one has been going. And in the context of reconciliation, repentance is to turn away from the kinds of behaviors that have been harming. And true repentance when it occurs, it is always accompanied by the desire to make matters right. When I was in seminary, I'm going to tell another embarrassing story. Um, when I was in seminary, I was wrestling with this truth and this idea of what, is, of what does repentance look like when I've wronged someone? And what kept coming up was a job that I had when I was a senior in high school and a freshman in college. I worked at a movie theater. I worked at a dollar movie theater. It was a second-round movie theater. This was back, I don't know. Long time. And so we sold tickets to movies for a dollar. It was a great job. I Loved it. Uh, but I was also like a manager over the concession stand. And I'm just going to tell you, I stole money. Stole money from the concession stand. You know, slipped some dollars in my pocket. Not proud of it. But I knew I did it, and I never did anything to make it right. I'm wrestling with this. Living in Mill Valley, California at the time. I'm like, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And the spirit was like, you got to make it right. The problem is, I worked for my boss. His name was Andy. Andy made his money off of commissions from the concession stand. So it wasn't like I was necessarily stealing from, like, corporate headquarters. I was actually taking money out of Andy's pocket. So I was like, man, I don't know what to do. So I called up corporate headquarters of the movie theater. I said, hey, listen, I know it's been a few years, five to be exact, but... I'm trained to be a pastor. I got to make restitution. They're like, we're going to put you through to loss prevention. I get through. They're like, this is what happens, what, what I do. I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know where this guy is anymore. I don't know how to make this right. And they're like, well, we don't know how to make it right either. So we worked out a plan, and I sent them a check for $100 to make up for what I had done. It was embarrassing. I'm embarrassed to tell you now. That when there's been a violation, when there's been a break, repentance is required for reconciliation to be possible. You have to stop doing the same thing that you've done to harm the relationship. and You have to begin moving in a different direction. And sometimes that includes making restoration. It, it includes making matters right. <laughs> Says the Lord agrees. Got an amen from the Spirit. Hey. In other words, for reconciliation to occur, let me move forward with this. For reconciliation to occur, there must be forgiveness. There must be an action that opens a door for a normal relationship. There must be a repentance, a turning away from the behaviors or patterns that harm because there can be no reconciliation if there is ongoing harm that is being done. And restoration is a restoring of what has been destroyed. And sometimes as much as we're able to, the, the, the owning of my part in the rupture is required. And furthermore, the truly repentant one, they don't demand reconciliation. Demanding reconciliation is not repentance, it's manipulation. True repentance seeks to take ownership of the sin. Restoration seeks to restore that which has been destroyed. Yale professor Miroslav Volf says that whenever forgiveness occurs, a miracle occurs to which African theologian Emmanuel Katangale choruses back, the journey of reconciliation hangs or falls on seeing Jesus. Mark and Paul's story, in Mark and Paul's story, we see these things coming together. We see boundaries, we see forgiveness, we see reconciliation. For the sake of their own healing and their own well-being, and for the sake of their souls, And for the sake of God's work in the world, Paul went on to plant other churches as did Barnabas and Mark. Our healthy relationships and our healthy conflict is never just for us alone. So the lingering question maybe to end with here are the lingering questions is where are boundaries needed for you? Where do you need to establish the boundaries and with whom? Where is forgiveness required, and where is reconciliation hoped for? Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, is a tender topic, and, and God, I pray for whatever gap there is. <laughs> between what's been shared and what needed to be shared. Spirit, I pray that you would occupy that space and that you would minister to my friends here in the room, that you would lead them to consider, to do the internal work, the hard work of knowing where the boundaries are that need to be set and that need to be kept. God, I pray that you would show them what forgiveness, the shape that forgiveness can take what actions are required just to open the door for a normal relationship, sometimes a normal relationship with, within one's own life. And Lord, where even maybe where it feels hopeless or foolish to hope for reconciliation, God, you, you're okay occupying foolish places, places where it seems like there's no hope. So God, for my friends in the room, There may be a place or a relationship or a set of relationships where where you're bringing bringing things to mind. Spirit, I pray that you would journey in those spots with them. That you would remind them that you're there with them even in this moment. That you're moving them towards health and healing and wholeness. Spaces where they can be deeply, deeply known and deeply loved. pray this in Jesus' name.